welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters. This is Christopher, and I'm, of course, I am here with Tom. Tom, how have you been? I am groovy, sir. I am on my way to full immunization. Ah, lucky you. I am 21 days away from... <laughs> or, well, I guess 21 days and two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I got my first shot today. So far, everything's fine, other than a shoulder that feels like uh, someone just tried to... Uh, practice their boxing on but <laughs> other than that i'm fine i'm just glad to um that i finally getting a chance to like take that first step yes no that's nice and seeing so many other people doing the same thing i don't know if it'll be as expansive as our last episode our last episode was a good twofer episode because we had a got a hold of a screener of a really great movie so we had to talk about uh hawk and rev vampire slayers which is out now go check that movie yes, out please find it i know it's on itunes like i said i need to i meant to look to see if i could find it in any other streaming service i haven't seen any posts about it anywhere but i know it's on itunes so go yeah go and watch that one uh, go back an episode and listen to the first half of that to hear what we had to say about it. Really recommended. Uh, we got another screener uh, in the interim there between that and this episode here. This one was called Dawn of the Beast, which comes out, uh, I believe, April 6th. Yes. That looks good on I want to keep it. Quite a treat this weekend as we delve into our new area of study. So what class is this for, anyway? It's called cryptozoology. We study mythical folklore animals. Today is about exploring the territory. Anything that sheds light on the existence of Bigfoot. There's an unspeakable evil living out in those woods. And you better hope it doesn't sense your presence. Because if it knows you're there, They'll be coming for you. I found this book. It talks about all kinds of creatures. The Wendigo. That's the spirit. That's what gets in your head. And that's what you become once the spirit finds you. You're telling me that Bigfoot isn't the only monster out there? It knows what she Tonight. The 
darkness of the night brings out the evil that is the window. The night's end brings the dawn, and with the dawn comes the light. This is about a group of graduate students that get more more than they bargain for while searching for the legendary Bigfoot. Not only is he real, but there's something far more evil lurking in the shadows. The Wendigo. I got a chance to watch this, like, last night. Mm -hmm. This movie tried really hard to get me to like it. Yeah. I mean, it really did. I really feel like, like, oh, you were so close. I, I know how you feel about a good Bigfoot film, but I'm afraid you didn't quite get a good bigfoot film <laughs> no no this he's the red herring of the movie a little bit and a little bit and i believe um the trailers i think definitely i don't remember if i even caught any of the trailers but what i gather from kind of reading other people who would watch the trailer really get the impression or get the wrong impression about how important bigfoot is to this mm-hmm. movie and I think that's what I was kind of looking for. And I was hoping for any moment. I'm like, okay, Bigfoot's going to come. He's going to be like the hero. They're going to make like superhero Bigfoot. No, it doesn't happen. I Spoilers. It doesn't happen. To be fair, it, it kind of kind of happens, but not. But it's really anticlimactic. And it is kind of like a, um, it almost, this one, it felt like, oh, Man, okay, well, we've got all these Wendigo creatures, and we got these soul eaters, and we got our heroes. Um, how are they going to get out of this? I know, Bigfoot. <laughs> it felt like an afterthought. Yeah, yeah as I was watching this, it, it had too many elements. Yeah. It was trying to be so many things all at once and wasn't pulling any of them off very well what i said when i watched it like there are so many great things the creature designs i thought were great i thought the creature designs looked really yes. good it was a it was a good looking bigfoot i thought the good looking bigfoot the the i i guess what the soul eaters or whatever those yeah, the flesh eaters were. right i don't know what the yeah because uh i mean yeah the wendigo is supposed to be a big part of this but then the wendigo itself is barely is, is a static part of the yeah. this all these other little elements keep coming up and you're just kind of like, I don't know what I'm watching. Right. Yeah, that's what I said. There are so many really great ingredients, but they just failed to coalesce in this film. Ha- having seen the movie Cabin in the Woods, I I feel like if you reference Cabin in the Woods, this was one of the failed attempts to appease the gods. <laughs> <laughs> it may be. Could you got the grad students, you put them in a cabin in the woods. Literally, they even say the word, oh, it's a cabin in the woods. <laughs> like, from the whole thing, you're setting it up, but it just, it just doesn't quite get there. Like you said, I mean, it just tried to do too much. Um, they, they really needed to, like, trim it down a little bit. I mean, it, it was, it's over, and no, what was it? Like an hour and 20-something minutes or something like that? Yeah, it's not a super... Uh, actually, it's an hour 57. Hour 57? It, and that's that's what's listed here. Or wait, no, that's the, the, the minute 57 is the trailer. 
Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the time on the uh, on the actual film, but I think it's about an hour and 20, hour, 30 minutes. And even that, that right. was just, there's that's not enough story to, to, to fill this. They really needed to trim it down. They needed to maybe, they can still be out looking for Bigfoot, but just don't have Bigfoot. The grad students that you talk about, everybody is a one-dimensional character. You've you've plucked these from these people from any horror movie ever, mm-hmm. um, right down to even the uh, the doddering professor guy <laughs> and, and all that. Who's at least you had the professor along in this case. Not to mention, I want to know where uh, a, a grad class is still getting a hold of a, a of a cabin of that quality um, for, <laughs> for the purposes of uh, of scoping out, uh, going into the middle of nowhere and scoping out the cryptozoology elements that they're trying to uh, get involved in. Yeah. Yeah, I, none of it, you just couldn't really buy most of it. All these students are people that you would, except for a couple or nobody that you would actually expect to see in a course like this, except that, oh, I heard this was an easy A. And they even say that. Right. Um, but you just, you don't really buy it. Especially um, Lily, the the one almost final girl, um, who actually wrote the film. Uh, the actress, Anna Shields, is actually the writer of the film. Okay. But she's like, you know, the punk wise cigarette smoking one. Easy A or not, she she would not be t- in this class. <laughs> no, and I've never heard of because uh, they even mentioned it's it's a master's level class. I don't know how this comes up as a your part of your master's program without you being involved in that. Right. Um, but at any rate, yeah, they, none of these people seem like they belong there. And I thought it was particularly funny that the the hero in the story literally is not also in the class. Right. Yeah. He's just he's just a tag along because his girlfriend, quote unquote, girlfriend, yeah. is in the class. But yeah, even all that uh, the the stories that they concoct for for these individuals and why they're there and all that is just so flimsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're just. There's nothing to Well, even, I mean, the film opens, it does like a, a, you see something that happens apparently 10 years prior with a young couple who are either living, you know, in the area or are staying at a cabin or something like that. And I think this was a, um, this is something they could have improved it because we meet the same character later in the film, but he looks like he's playing dress up. He doesn't look 10 years older. He just looks like he's wearing a Halloween costume. Like, man, you you really needed to recast. You need to set this back further. Make this happen. What you see in the beginning of the film, make that happen in like the 50s or or 60s. Right. And cast an old character who's been now hunting for what he thinks is, you know, killed his his fiance or his girlfriend, who he thinks is Bigfoot. Have Have him spent his entire life doing this hunting and being grizzled and... You can even have him do the whole thing where, uh, okay, I'm going to use this young girl as bait, but make this like this is the last straw. He's never done this yeah. before, but this is, you know, the only thing I can think of to try. He's he's He needs to catch this thing. You can still do that. Just tweak it a little bit. But yeah, having the same actor, <laughs> just, okay, but now you have a beard. Oh, 
okay. And, and I, I just love the old trope that how you make somebody mysterious and creepy is you throw an eye patch on them. It's another eye patch. Beard, beard and eye patch, and now you got a creepy guy. Right. Other elements in this film that are just, you, you like, you wanted that to go somewhere, and it never does because there's not enough story here to latch onto it. Clearly, there's a talisman that's involved in drawing in the monsters, but they've never made it clear what that is, where it came from, why that's a part of it. The last five minutes of the damn movie. Oh, it's not about the girl. It's about this rock. And he holds the necklace and they're like, oh, wait, that was in a the picture in a book. And then it just it's dropped. Nothing. Yep. What? Yep. What? <laughs> This is clearly the linchpin to why any of this shit has happened. <laughs> and and no, nope, we we're not gonna we're not gonna pull on that thread at all. Well, and it just occurred to me too. Supposedly, this guy has been hunting for Bigfoot for a decade. That's the impression you get, right? Right. That's the impression I got. Was that the impression you got? Yes. And those ten years, he never came across like the Wendigo. Or any of these creatures? The the rock was still with his dead girlfriend. <sighs> they they wouldn't have come out. Oh, you think that's what it is? Because someone else picked up the uh, the necklace. I think that's what they were kind of going for. Mm. But considering how much this guy has been all over the territory, the fact that he never came across his girlfriend's body, but the this group on an outing where they actually run into him. Right. <laughs> Before they run into the body, it's just in an open field. They walk it all of 20 feet off the trail. Oh my gosh, a dead body. <laughs> the trail <laughs> yeah. through the woods. Yeah. But the guy that's been in the woods for the past decade uh, mourning his girlfriend has not managed to come across this body in an open field. Right. <laughs> and the fact that, that it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years later. I, I kind of get the impression because the talisman was still with the dead body uh, that that is why he never came across the, the Wendigo until until it was recovered again. All right, I'll, I'll accept that. But yeah, if that's a, an important part, you should have maybe come up with some more story around that. Right. <laughs> yeah, maybe that could have been mentioned in the in the weird, creepy book that was just lying on top of the bookcase. Yeah, instead of just crazy drawings and, and, and lot, lots of uh, red rum kind of stuff and, in it. And it wasn't even, like, hidden somewhere that they stumbled across no. this book. It was literally on top of the bookcase. In a very modern cabin. Right. So people have to have been stayed staying at this cabin off and on for years. Right. Yeah. No, no, no one's come across that thing. Yeah. No, like, like you were saying, I mean, there are so many threads on this. And if you just pull slightly on any of them, the whole thing just unravels. No, I, what it is, is I, I, I think uh, someone may, wanted to make a, a monster horror movie. They had some really cool ideas and some decent effects and came up. They came up with some really nice beasties. Mm hmm. And like you said, you were expecting a little more out of uh, Sasquatch because he actually is given credit in the opening credits. The actor as the Sasquatch <laughs> is actually named outright as if this is going to play a big role. And you see him, what, twice? Right. <laughs> I, I think it was 
somebody wanted to get all this uh, cool-looking stuff on the screen and had no story to tell yep. with it. Had it been just a Wendigo soul-winning story, might have been good. Had it just been a Bigfoot story, might have been good. Had it been just about a man that's been hunting the thing for a decade and kidnapped some Pearl Grill to bring him out in the open, might have been good. All those things together, crap. <laughs> I, I, I feel bad even saying crap. I don't feel like it's crap. It's just, oh, it's just so close. It just, it tries so hard to make me want to like it. If you need a dumbed down monster horror film, this is, this'll do. Production's good. Yeah. Uh, it looks good. You might get the occasional jump scare out of it. That was actually another complaint I had. I liked it when they did it the first couple times. They did a couple moments or things with the camera that makes you think, oh, oh, there's going to be something back there. There's going to be something back there. Oh, nope, nope, nothing there. And I, I, the way they, the camera worked, it had to be on purpose. They're like, all oh, right, this is the trope. You know people are going to be expecting something to be there when they turn around, and there's not. Yeah. But they did like, they did it like three or four times in a row. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, now you've worn it out. It's not fun anymore. <laughs> right. There, there's that. And, well, and then um, as I will always complain with anything fiction, I will believe in, in a fiction story. I will believe whatever you tell me as long as you set the ground rules and stick to them. And those flesh eating beasties that are in there it's a little unclear how they work because one minute it's you can sneak around them if you don't make a sound but then sometimes you can be in their line of sight and that's not enough to get them to come at you it didn't it never seemed to make any sense when the the beastie would actually come at you no they tried to do a lot i mean they tried to do, they did, tried to do a monster movie. They tried to do a sort of, uh, oh, I can't think of the film. Well, the, the girl was changing, um, and she's doing the the creepy bone cracking crawl across the bed and everything. It reminds uh, me of yeah. like the Ring or something like that. Um, yeah, it's like yeah, they just they threw in everything, everything they liked that they'd seen over the last fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> they they threw it all into one film. Yes, that's this is a hodgepodge of horror films. Yeah. So that being said, hone your skills, focus, and there are glimmers of hope for the filmmakers here. I'll take it for granted that this is a a, a young film crew um, putting together something. It's impressive for what it is. Uh, there's just needs more story than it got, and it had too many stories for there not to be enough dialogue <laughs> and actual information to, to, to thread it all together. So yep. uh, try again, but do try again. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Do not uh, take any criticisms. Uh, take them as constructive criticisms and, and, and work with wh what you have because you do have some good stuff. You just need to, you need to focus. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a C, C minus. Yeah, yeah, I would give this a C. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good try. Good effort. <laughs> Go work harder. <laughs> make make another Bigfoot movie, because like I said, that, that was a good costume. It was. One uh, of the better Bigfoots that I've seen. 
and, and they they were effective in how they were shooting it to to make it make him seem gargantuan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, so, no, they did a yeah. really nice job of it. Yeah, no, lots of good stuff. Just <laughs> try again. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Well, with that, we will take a break. Uh, listen to a promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we're going to talk about another MST3K Unrift, this time Danger Death Ray. Hey, this is Overlord Dan from The Movie Seller, and I am here to tell you about our upcoming event, the Trilogy of Trash Birthday Bash, dropping on May 7th, where we'll be celebrating our two-year podcasting anniversary by showing you guys a triple feature of short, shot-on-video horror films from our friends at Dungeon Entertainment. It'll be a live YouTube broadcast, and we'll be hanging out and chatting with you guys. All you need to do to join in is make a $5 donation to the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. The JDRF's entire goal is finding a cure for type 1 diabetes for people like my daughter Lily and the millions of others living with the disease. Five bucks gets you in, 10 bucks gets you a swag pack with cool stickers and exclusive mini prints, and every donation gets you entered to win our raffle for exclusive mixtape, signed prints, hats, shirts, and more. Check out trashbash.themovieseller.com to learn more. That's trashbash.themovieseller.com. Death Ray from 1967. This is an Italian Eurospy film starring American actor Gordon Scott. The film was made, as many Eurospy films were at the time, to capitalize on the, on the success of Britain's James Bond films. All the typical ingredients are here. Daring kidnappings, fight and chase scenes, gunplay, and beautiful women. This film was also the subject of an experiment of season 6, episode 20, of Mystery Science Theater 3000 in 1995. Got a little information here on the actor Gordon Scott. He was well known in the States through the late 50s for playing Tarzan in five films. These films ranged from the cheaply produced rehashes of television scripts to big budget productions actually filmed in Africa. He starred in the first Tarzan film shot and released in color in 1957's Tarzan and the Lost Safari. And Scott is the only Tarzan portrayer to play Tarzan as both the simple, inarticulate ape man and as the educated English-speaking version, which more closely resembled the Edgar Rice Burroughs creation. Now, Mr. Scott, looking to escape some potential typecasting, he left Hollywood for Europe, where he appeared in numerous peplum or sword and sandal movies, as well as spaghetti westerns. He appeared in two spy films, Danger Death Ray and Top Secret, both released in 67. After this, he actually retired from acting and spent the remaining couple of decades as a regular at film conventions and autograph shows. Danger Death Ray is about a scientist who creates a powerful death ray that, despite its awesome destructive power, he hopes will only be used for peaceful purposes. 
Unfortunately, an evil organization has other plans for the professor's invention, and during the presentation of the device, kidnap him in an elaborate caper involving murder, swapped identities, knockout gas, car chases, helicopters, and even a submarine. It's up to secret agent Bart Fargo. Recently pulled off his vacation, much to his boss's secretary's annoyance, his mission is to find the professor before you be forced to recreate his death ray and prevent the beam weapon from being turned into an unstoppable force for evil. It won't be easy as there are spies everywhere and Fargo has to be on his guard at all times, even with the ladies. Uh, this has always been one of my favorite Mystery Science Theater 3000s. Yes, this is probably in my like top five, probably. Yep, same here. I was gonna say if I had if I had a list five, this would definitely be up there. Yes, it would. Uh, that being the reason, I went out in search of the film Unrift. I was very curious. I've, I've I had enjoyed this on MST so many times. It's like I want to see this thing without the commentary. Unfortunately, it was very easy to find because it was on YouTube. <laughs> I think that's about the only place you're going to find it, unfortunately. And I watched it unriffed several years ago, I think. And I've actually watched it several times. I legitimately enjoy this film. I think this is a fun movie. I'm not going to say it's a good movie. I think it's a fun movie. No, it it very much is fun. It, 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 It very much wants to be a Bond film. In every sense of the word, the thing I marvel about most with the, this movie it is the huge segments of no sound or or dialogue at all, which is very interesting in what is essentially an action film. Like the early parts, this was my first time ever watching it unriffed. And when you go into the opening sequences and happily uh, got to see a little bit more of the film that doesn't make it into Mystery Science Theater, obviously for editing purposes. And I'll get into a little bit more of that later. But uh, the thing I noticed without having it riffed is you get sequences like where they meet, all all the officials are meeting together and they're being taken to the death Mm. ray. And there's at least a good solid five minutes with no one saying a thing, no music. They they walk down the hall. These are all supposed to be colleagues. Not a single person is talking to right, one another. Right they get into the elevator. Not a single person says a thing. We could have <laughs> at least had some Muzak in the elevator. <laughs> I mean, it is dead silent from the time they decide to take them to the death ray to the time they sit them down in front of it and it is it's about a five minute stretch yeah that's a good point yeah it, well and especially coming off of the very i mean the theme music to this thing and i mean the thing opens with the bup it up it up a theme yeah actually that's the thing it doesn't quite open with that what what i was actually really enjoying is it opens with where the bad guys actually get involved. Right. It actually opens with a very quiet scene of the cars, this car pulling up with the actual officials that are supposed to go to the showing of the death ray. Um, and they are intercepted by the bad guys at a really cheesy uh, 
um, <laughs> a really road cheesy closed, uh, construct yeah, road, yeah. road close kind of thing, in which case they uh, they take everything over and then join them. But I like that element. You got you got some instant action right away, and then it went into the. <laughs> but it, it's such a peppy and loud, and you can't help but after you hear that for a while in this movie, for like the next week. It's in your head. You can't help but you know, you're, just, you're just going down the stairs. <laughs> and, and, and it's one of those, and I'll, I'll say it is an earworm kind of uh, song, but you can't help but smile when you hear it. Yes. But anyway, to your point, though, you, you, you come up with this and you listen to this like whole piece as they're driving and doing their thing and you hear the da-da-da-da-da song and everything, and then you're right, and then it just stops <laughs> and you have all this silence and be, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> so you really notice the silence only because you just came out of like a concert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause, cause it, it is, it's a, it's loud, it's robust, it's involved. There are things happening and then it all comes to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can't help, but I, I have to pick on this and I realize it's a totally sixties thing. People sitting at monitors watching things aren't allowed to just sit and observe. They have to be doing things. Right. So I couldn't help but be purely focused on the guy watching all the security cameras. At no point does he not stop turning dials and pushing <laughs> buttons. And I'm like, nothing is changing on the screens. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> What job are you performing right now? But yeah, when you don't have the riffing going on, now your brain starts focusing on some of these things. And you're like, okay, now I get why this made good fodder for Mystery Science Theater. Start pulling out the minutiae. Yeah, this is actually a really good example of how MST3K would edit a film to make some jokes work. Yes. Um, yes, they have to. They edit it for time. Uh, I understand that, but as well, they what they cut out. You you definitely think that whether that was a reason they cut it out, or if they just felt that that was a good place as any, and then they just happen to go, oh well, now that that's gone, we can make this joke. I you know I don't know, but there are things like um, you were saying that you see so much more. You you don't get to see the uh, the the switch up with the, the guys mm-hmm. at the beginning. So that, that, that explains a little bit there, but even after they kidnap you, they do the little, the, and the MST version, they do the, uh, the gasps, you know, and, and they grab the professor and then it's cut, cuts to a commercial break. And when right. it comes back, the professor and the, and one of the bad guys is in the car escaping the, uh, the authorities. Yeah. And you skip the whole exit from the complex. What happened to his partner? That's never mentioned on the MST at all. So what happened to the guy? We find out in the actual uncut version what happened. But also, as they're driving along, Mike and the bots are making jokes about Death Ray just rattling around in a trunk up, you know, back there. And they're trying to escape from the cops. And, oh, only if we had had some sort of Death Ray or something. Uh, so, yeah, they can make those jokes because you don't see that the fact that they don't take the Death Ray. All they took was right. the professor. Right, uh, but they can make the joke like they did take it and they have it and they just left it or something like that. Uh, and since you've decided to bring up edit, 
it's interesting in, in at least the copy that you provided for me to watch, which was not bad. I actually looked it's, up on YouTube and those are muddier. Really? So I must have been yeah. just a lucky one that I got. I got it off of YouTube, but it might have been a version that isn't there anymore or who knows. Very well could be. But in watching yours, um, cutting to the one of the funnier things that I, I enjoyed at the end of the film in the Mystery Science Theater, when Bart chucks his, uh, his uh, communicator watch out the window and it falls to the pool, um, in the Mystery Science Theater one, you see it plummet to the pool and then you see where literally somebody is holding the watch because the shot didn't work from right. the, the drop. So that, that this person now places it into the water to watch it slowly <laughs> go down. And the hand is even in the sequence. Mm -hmm. In your cut of the actual film, that hand is not there. I was going to say, that's what I thought. They actually, um, looks like they, they actually corrected it at some point. Someone did. Someone did, but the Mystery Science Theater got a, a hold of a, a of a of a weird cut mm -hmm. that uh, may or may not have actually made it into the the film. You would have thought any editor would have caught that and not made that show up in the final cut. So right. they got a hold of something that may not have really been in the theater version. Right. Because it was a little cleaner. It still looked like crap. But right. Yeah, or <laughs> or maybe it, maybe it did, and it was something that someone went and, and fixed and corrected it at some point for a video release somewhere in its life. I mean, who knows? It, it might have made its way to European VHS or something. Uh, who knows? I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are talking about a film from 1967, so... Um, yeah, it, it could have gone through a couple of uh, fixes over time right. before we got a hold of it. Uh, but no, I just thought it was interesting that, that that wasn't there in this one, and Mystery Science Theater laid into that R. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Intercepted by Joe Montana or whatever. <laughs> because I fawned over um, Mark Singer in uh, Beastmaster, I will give kudos to Gordon Scott. That is a good-looking man. I <laughs> Seriously, I've no lie. I have a bit of a man crush on Gordon Scott. I really do. I, 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 I totally get that. I mean, like, uh, who who is your fitness dude, dude? Uh, no wonder you were Tarzan. Yeah. Uh, and then looking at some of his, I may have to look it up. He played Zorro. Yeah, I've got that was available. I found that on YouTube as well. That's on the list of things to watch. Yeah, it was like the Three Musketeers and Zorro, and Zorro or something like that. Yeah, Zor Zorro and the Three Musketeers. Yeah. <laughs> We, we'll totally have to pick up that one. Yeah, I, I've already downloaded it off of YouTube, so <laughs> I'm going to watch that at some point. But but yeah, I mean, this guy is a is a total heartthrob. For some of the cheesiness and all that, he was very compelling in this role. I mean, you, there was no point where you didn't totally believe that he is not the total badass in this film. Right. I, I could deal a little with... The fight sequences, some of them were were a little laughable. I've never seen so much open hand slapping. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's actually one of the things I like about this film is uh, some of the fight scenes are very, um, oh, they're kind of they're what's the word maybe uh, visceral. I mean, they're not. Yeah. They don't all feel like necessarily like scripted 
choreographed fight scenes that you see in so many movies. This looked like a brawls. And it was just, you don't always have to have that perfect punch or, oh, uh, I, I know Kung Fu or anything like that. It was just, you just have to make contact with the person. I mean, there's times, he boxes a guy's ears in. He hits, he comes down straight on top of somebody's head. You know, just make contact to cause pain. <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's the fight Distract, in if anything, so you can set up for the next uh, thing that right, you need yeah. to do. but. Well, and, and despite the fact, clearly is he is the hero, and he always had the upper hand almost every single time. He took his shots too, mm-hmm. which was kind of uh, nice to see. You don't get to see a whole lot of that. Yeah, he may he'd make an excellent um, uh, Bond just unto himself too. The the thing that uh, threw me off with this is clearly he's the American in the film, right? Um. And as much as they wanted this to seem like he is like a Bond kind of character, um, I couldn't quite grasp what kind of organization he worked for because he <laughs> seemed to be doing it for money. So it sounded more like this was more of a mercenary uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Because he, he seems even put out that it, he's next up on the list right. to go save the world. Yeah. Could you give this to somebody else? You, you said I could have two weeks vacation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the consolation prize was three weeks vacation. No, you give him a month. He's going to get a month if oh, he pulls uh, this right. off. It was a month. No idea who he actually worked for. I guess the guy's got to get paid. I don't know. It gets a bonus. Even James Bond got paid, right? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but... But there was the whole king and country thing going on for him. Yeah, that's uh, true. And, 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 and Bart, uh, it's for the next woman he's going to hang out with and the next vacation he gets uh, to get. Yeah, I assumed it was some sort of, you know, NATO organization because it definitely seemed like, I mean, he was an American. His boss was uh, uh, Senor Raymond or something, so he was Spanish. Yeah. So, and his secretary, I'm going to assume, was, was Italian. <laughs> Yeah, no, I had that international feel. It was just, I uh, was having a hard time pinning down. What is the motivation of this organization that is trying <laughs> to save the world? Yeah, um, no, I think he was like a danger man. He worked for NATO. That's that, that, that's my, my assumption. Should we get more into the peaceful purposes? <laughs> <laughs> that is a trope that has been done. Well, fortunately, it's, it's a trope that's been kind of, I think, left to history. But in the 50s and 60s, my God, how many scientists have we seen to come up with the, I've made this really big super weapon that I'm hoping will be used for peaceful purposes. What? And, and this is one of those moments, again, where because we're watching it unrift, you get to focus a little bit more on what exactly the man is saying. Right. And all of it comes off as like, huh? That makes no sense. <laughs> you. You have used your your vast experience and intellect to create something that could kill anyone for people peaceful purposes. Well, the idea is that it's going to be a weapon that's so powerful no one would dare use it, which right. has been yeah, the no. which has been the the mantra of almost every weapon that's ever been created going back to, I, I think Nobel and his uh, invention of like uh, TNT or, or whatever, nitroglycerin was 
is supposed to be like the doomsday weapon. You know, if everyone has this, no one would dare use it kind of thing. Right. It, I could be misremembering my history or maybe that w that is uh, completely, uh, you know, a false narrative. I don't know, but I've definitely heard that before. I, the atomic bomb was supposed to be like, you oh, know, yeah. the thing that would make peace because... Who would want to unleash that on the world? Well, turns out, funny story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know, right? Um, well, and well, going right, right down to uh, the more recent. Uh, if you go and watch the very first Iron Man film and Tony Stark selling his weapons, and uh, he points out the one thing that most of these others do not, which is the notion of. It, it's not that you don't you don't make it a deterrent to to not use you use it once so nobody else wants to see it used on them again right <laughs> which is exactly why the uh, atomic bomb was used you use it so you can show everybody how horrible it is so our dude here with the 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 death ray that melts uh, <laughs> that apparently melts concrete all we ever saw it do was uh, make a hole in concrete. No, that that was special space alloy. That was alloy used in spacecraft in 1967. Yeah, it looked an awful lot like cinder <laughs> it, looked, it looked an awful lot like uh, painted tinfoil, but... Yeah, anytime you need a hole in something, this the, this one's your baby. Right. <laughs> yeah, as long as, as long as your enemy stands still... <laughs> <laughs> for several seconds. Yeah, because it's also going to take a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's highly destructive, but only if you stay in one place. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that that is a trope that ran rampant and maybe was starting to uh, peter out by the time it was used in this film. I, yeah. I, I, but I definitely, I'm sure I've seen that kind of stuff in through the 50s, some of the 50s American sci-fis. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. But, yeah, by the time you're getting into 1967 and all that, yeah, it, it's wearing a little thin. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like the uh, the excuse that, you know, oh, we could you could make it more powerful. You don't need to big a, make a bigger device. You just need to up the energy of this one. Oh, well, that's handy. <laughs> <laughs> now I can definitely see why uh, an evil organization would want it. Although maybe if you're going to do this elaborate scheme to kidnap them, maybe you could have figured out a way to get a truck that you could have just taken the damn death ray with you. <laughs> well, you, you know, uh, that organization, uh, clearly they could have gotten a hold of truck because, I mean, they were willing to weigh, uh, throw away uh, a buck 95 helicopter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all their technology was based on Johnny's toys. As Mystery Science Theater said, special effects by Billy. <laughs> yeah, that is a real. I, I, you can't hide it. I mean, there's no excuse for it. And I mean, I enjoy this film. I like the whole spy thing. I like Gordon Scott's Bart Fargo. I like, uh, you know, uh, the women he meets up with, uh, Lucille and uh, Mrs. Carver, and the whole. Uh, evil Frank and the Spaniard all I'm all in, but yeah, you can't ignore the fact that they use toys. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not, Oh, we built miniatures. No, no, they used toys <laughs> and the bathtub. Yeah. 
And they used the bathtub twice. Yes. Because <laughs> we didn't use just the bathtub for the uh, the scene with the submarine. Um, we also used the same bathtub with a little bit of mountain terrain around the side so that... The toy car could go off so, the cliff. So that Bar- Bart Fargo's matchbox car could go <laughs> off the side of the hill. Yeah. Yeah, you just you can't hide it. You can't excuse it. They are toys. I hope Billy's mom uh, forgave him <laughs> for clogging the drain that day. He worked, he worked on, you know, he saved up his allowance to get those. It's such a shame. Well, and I wonder if they got the fancy sub. Did they actually pull that one down by string, or did it actually go want to be one of those <laughs> baking where soda? You let the air out. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that was even one of the riffs. Is like it came up for more baking soda. <laughs> Those moments just really kind of took you out of it for the moment, but um, it doesn't take... What's funny, Rift or otherwise, um, it, while you're watching it, you know what you're watching, and you get you get to have all the fun, so whether or not you have Mystery Science Theater doing it or you're just doing it yourself, those moments, while they're ridiculous and they take you out of the moment... But they're ridiculous in such a fashion that you can't help but smile as you're watching it. It was obviously cost saving. I'm not sure what they. I'm not exactly sure what they were saving their money for. (laughs) They're already in Europe, so it's not like they. Oh, oh, Europe, how exotic! No, you are. You're already there. (laughs) Yeah, well, apparently they didn't have the budget to throw the the uh, director's car over over a cliff. I guess that is a big difference. Yeah, because you got to figure a- a- any of the vehicles you show a, a scene in there belong either the cast or crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but aside from the fact, the effects, and we we discussed uh, Gordon Scott's Bart. The bad guys were actually a lot of fun in this. Particularly, you mentioned Frank, mm-hmm. and, and that guy that guy screamed a Bond villain. Oh yeah. Especially the pairing with the other guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, was it Frank and Joe, I think, is who uh, they were introduced I, to? It was Frank and somebody. Joe is the one that unfortunately doesn't make it out after the from the kidnapping. Right. He was the one that looks like the uh, he's in a barbershop quartet as the, uh, the guy is so eloquently riffed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is why uh, you're right. The fact that they edited that out of the Mystery Science Theater does take a little... It takes a little decent cred away from the film because that's actually a decent moment. And this is this is how bad the bad guys are that they're willing to do this and kill what is clearly his closest working companion, if not friend, mm-hmm. just to pull this caper off. Right. And not leave anyone behind that could potentially lead anybody back to uh, Frank and the rest of the organization which you get more of later on in the film when anyone involved in this particular syndicate, if they get caught anywhere near Bart and they're not either dead already or running, um, they get killed. Right. Yeah. Uh, we talked, what was, uh, he ends up being kind of his friend. Was that Al? Is that, do I get the right guy? I think that was Al. You know, he, he goes trying to kill Bart, ends up, you know, getting his ass whooped in the hotel room, then escapes and Bart lets him go. But because he was there, he had some contact with him, they figure he can't be trusted anymore. Right. They, they, he, he let you go, you must have told him something. 
that was enough to turn the guys, um, turn the tide so that he, well, aside from the fact now he's being hunted by his own group. Right. But no, that, that was actually kind of a very cool element for, uh, for what's essentially a, a, a cheesy spy movie. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I like that twist. I like the fact that we we got we find out there was an inside man, you know, obviously someone high up in the professor's you know uh, um, management team. You know, it turns out is the <laughs> lead villain of the piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're led to like the Spaniard, as he's called, Scarface or the Spaniard or whatever it is, and you think he's the top, and it turns out he's just another minion. Uh, ah, it was a great little twisty spy film. Yeah, no, they did. They did a great job with what they had, and then just had unfortunately a few, few too many really silly elements. Yes, that and uh, Bart never met a woman that was uh, <laughs> the women. The women that he keeps running into are easier than anyone that even Bond. Bond came across. Well, I don't know. I kind of like the fact that when he first meets Lucille, it's, you know, he's like, "Hey, why don't we go to my hotel?" She's like, "Oh no, I have a boyfriend. He's very jealous." I mean, she she shoots him down. Like, oh, right, all right. Well, yeah. Well, that lasts like five. Well, that that lasts until the next <laughs> time you see her, right? <laughs> yeah, because uh, the boyfriend's out after they've gone on one date, right? <laughs> <laughs> like. Well, he might be jealous, but you don't give a crap. <laughs> a, a great riff in the in the MST is uh, he asked her. I was like, I still think we ought to we ought to go to my um, go out for a drink or something like that. She's like, Oh, you just want to get me high and take advantage of me. And one of the guys, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> when he first meets uh, Carver, Mrs. Carver, or who we find out is Mrs. Carver, they go separate ways. You know, on the plane. I'm like, Wow, okay. Our 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 hero is like striking out here left and right. Granted, uh, that that in and of itself is a fairly decent twist. Uh, so she was there to keep tabs on him um, mm-hmm. right away. Like they already wanted to, they were already our evil organization. Uh, and, and I guess that's kind of what was a little lacking from this is uh, like in the Bond films, you you, you know it's MI six, you know it's uh, Spectre. Spectre. Mm-hmm. Um, these organizations had no names. Right. Yeah. You kind of wonder. And the fact that, you know, he's on the case all of like a day, he's flying out literally like the night he's been given the assignment and there's already someone keeping tabs on him. Well, that leads you to think that there's someone on the inside of whatever organization he works for. That's my assumption. Yeah. There's no reason for them to be tracking him yet. They, uh, Without some sort of knowledge. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Did that plane come before or after he went to the uh, the scene of the crime, the scene of the kidnapping? Because maybe, because you know, I, I think that maybe that took place after he visited the scene of the, the the kidnapping and he saw the video of Frank and Joe. And we and they, I think it did. And Carver was there, so he knew. Ah, so that makes more sense. Okay. I'm with it. Yeah, no. Uh, well, it, it, that gives them a reason to be on to him. But I, I like that the, we didn't have any sense of who this woman was. Right. Um, it, she very well could have been the uh, very innocent uh, person that she uh, claimed to be as they were meeting on the plane. And it was just a failed conquest on his part. Um, 
only to have her come back and find out. But uh, even if you make that tie-in, uh, clearly uh, the, this gets a, this organization gets a sense of the other organization right. that is after them, and we have no idea who any of right. those Good point. groups are or why they care about each other. Yeah. No, I think it's a it's a good spy story. I think it's pretty well acted. I like the fight scenes. I do agree with you that there are moments that a little bit of music would be would be nice, um, something or dialogue. And I do find the end where it's like ten minutes of him walking through the house, shooting at the wall, <laughs> is goes a little too long. Again, with no music, just Carver on a view screen watching him and flicking switches. Yeah, and the rat attack that <laughs> that, that right. follows. But yeah. uh, um, and one of the things that uh, Mystery Science Theater, uh, speaking of, as you get to the end, uh, they they really gloss over that um, the sequence with Al dying. They 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 made it sound like Al was in the movie for like five seconds, and, and like because of either the way that they watch the film or the various sequences that may have been trimmed or cut, uh, you don't get as much of the nuance that Al was a, was a guy being redeemed mm-hmm. and trying to help Bart, and they kind of threw it away. Yeah, But also the movie itself, that sequence is, is great, and then it gives a little uh, gravity to Al dying, and then it goes into this crazy sequence of just shooting at walls. Yes. <laughs> and you're kind of like, yeah, kind of pulled away from a good moment. Yeah, because by the time you, you, you get to the end where the, the bad guy is getting his and, and everything, you've kind of already forgotten about Al and his sacrifice. Because so right, much is with... happening in between. Or there's been so much <laughs> lag in between. Yeah, and, and useless lag because it is just so much of just hit him on camera and all that shoot, shooting up these things. Because in the span up to that point, um, the our, our uh, Mister Carver has lost his Mrs. Carver. Um, Al has died. Most of his henchmen are are dead or dying. Um, so there's a whole lot that happens, and it all ends in this little weird thing at the end. <laughs> oh, but how about this? It's a spy film where guys run out of ammunition and have to reload. That was pleasant to watch. That <laughs> no, wasn't that neat. <laughs> well, you know why? Because in 1967, they were probably really using live round. <laughs> they actually had yeah. to reload. <laughs> well, seeing as how some of them uh, fell, we know that wasn't true. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> Not to mention, everyone seemed to die without a hole in them. Yeah, or... it was a very, it was a relatively bloodless uh, gunfight. But yeah, that that sequence uh, there at the end, which is why uh, I, I thought it was particularly fun for Mystery Science Theater to pick on it the way that they did by having Cambot crying at the end, right? Because so many cameras died <laughs> <laughs> in that final sequence. <laughs> Talk and focus a little bit more about the Mystery Science Theater version. Sure. That episode, and one of the reasons I love it so much, it's actually one of the ones where I think all of the uh, interstitials, all the little uh, gimmicks in between you know, the breaks, work. I think they're all hysterical. We got Frank running a, uh, an agent, you know, Hollywood, being a Hollywood agent at the beginning of the film. 
and uh, you know, getting Tom Servo uh, licensed for Nike, even though he doesn't have feet. He's <laughs> <laughs> wearing a shoe on his head. Right. Turns down Crow for his uh, Peter Graves at the University of Minnesota and <laughs> Earth versus Soup <laughs> screenplays. Prepares to sign Mike. <laughs> <laughs> But the one of the best was, of course, Tom Servo, who creates his own death ray for peaceful purposes. But, oh, wait, here comes Crow. <laughs> and blasts Crow off screen. And so Crow comes on camera, and he's completely bent, melted, and scorched with a little bit of flame coming out of the top of his head. And by the end of the bit, his eyes burst in the flames and his entire head yeah, the is top engulfed. of his head goes up and he's he's screaming even louder but uh but going into that sequence crow is even kind of laughing oh no you totally had to it was super funny right. <laughs> all that right up until he burst into flames. Ah, ah! <laughs> uh, what i really love is i heard he wasn't supposed to burst in the flames that was an accident <laughs> But they kept everyone stayed in character long enough that they kept it in. <laughs> I, I kind of wondered if that was the case. <laughs> it seemed very real. Yeah. Uh, Crow, Crow's switch from, <laughs> from from everything's okay to, <laughs> to, to it's now really not okay. There's a, That made it to one of the MST blooper uh, tapes um, that oh, they okay. put out. And it's a little bit more extended, and uh, Trace has a, a quip at the end, and I, I can't find it. I don't know. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, that that was not meant to happen. <laughs> but that it, it is brilliant. That's one of those just those fantastic moments where it's like, oh, you, damn straight, you're gonna keep that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I I remember I, I was in tears going into the commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. But yeah, you're not wrong. There's not a single part of uh, th- that particular episode that doesn't work from beginning to end. Um, it's just that it, it, it's why it would, if I made a ranked list, it'd be in the, in the top five because yeah. it's just so good. It's it's watchable anytime. Yes. Yeah, there's definitely one that you can revisit. And uh, even though you know the jokes are coming, you you still giggle and you still enjoy this one's fun too because they actually reference back to past episodes uh there's the that nose wheel feels mushy <laughs> from uh one of the uh, airport was it san francisco airport international airport or something like that <laughs> there's a couple there's a couple references in 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 this one to uh previous msts so a, a, yeah. a fan would get them like i said it's just fun all the way around uh, right down and again i i really enjoyed that last sequence with uh because you never involve Cambot all that often and for for all of a sudden tears to be streaming down the uh, the lens of the camera oh Cambot's just... so sensitive <laughs> And Mike trying to console Cam. It's okay, honey. It's all right. It's just a movie. They they take it so far as having the uh, the letters they put up on Still Store to be wet with tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we would we'd read this, but Cambot's kind of uh, soaked it. Yeah. Well, just as like the MST, you could watch it repeatedly and still enjoy it. I that's how I feel about the actual unrift danger death ray as well even though i know the toys are coming up and even <laughs> and even though that 
there is a part of me in the back of my head that the riffs are going, you know, because I know so many of them from watching the MST so many times. I still enjoy the film. And this is one where I will go ahead and side with you there. Uh, I I think this one is fun enough. It's a cheap Italian spy movie. And they did it. It did it on whatever. Uh, do we even have any clue what kind of budget this thing had? I could. I don't believe I had anything. I, yeah, I can't seem to find anything on it. It cost a few lira. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's completely rewatchable, and, and it's just so much fun. And just some of the for as good as the spy parts are. The cheesier parts just kind of make it quirky, which makes it a little endearing to watch. And the music. The music is earworm, and you can't help it. Yeah, because you got the two different uh, pieces of music, because the one that I know that I... I, I, Every time they ran it, I could hear uh, Tom Servo singing, Watermelon. Yeah, so there are really only about two, maybe three pieces of music in the whole film, and they get played over and over again at different points, depending on... They're the type of music that if you could, like, have traveling music, (laughs) these are, like, some of the songs you would pick. Uh, Actually, you know what? It feels like the kind of music that you should be playing in the car while you drive around Italy. Yeah, oh, sure, absolutely. (laughs) As loud as you could in your... Wearing your womanly sunglasses. Absolutely. (laughs) Until I started doing some research for this episode, I didn't look much at Gordon Scott's filmography. I knew he'd played Tarzan. I never I've never bothered to like seek out any of the films. I'm actually trying to find I think one of them is on Prime. One of his latter films is actually on Prime. I'm going to check that out. And I'm kind of and I like I said I found the uh, the Zorro and the Three Musketeers, so I'm going to watch that. Uh, I'm going to try to dig up some more of his uh, Sword and Sandal films too. I have at least one I think I have on DVD. I bought it Monster Bash a couple years ago. But yeah, I'm going to kind of seek out a few more of his stuff. I'd like to see some of his uh, spaghetti westerns. I, I want to see the uh, the Zorro one. Um, probably wouldn't probably wouldn't mind catching some of the... I remember as a kid watching a lot of the Tarzan ones, and I can't even remember if I saw any that were his. Right. I have to assume I did. Yeah, I'm feeling the same. I know I watched a lot of Tarzan because that was just one of those things that XIX had that they would yeah, show. Absolutely. But whether I saw Gordon Scott, whether I saw, uh, what was the name, uh, Weissmuller was the you know, real yeah. famous one. I, I have no idea who I saw when I saw these Tarzan movies. I think in Danger Death Ray, he does his own voice. It certainly, would f- it certainly fits him. And I know I, I actually watched the uh, other film uh, spy film he did, Top Secret. I found it on YouTube. Not a good copy. You want to talk about a muddy copy? Um, it's not a good copy, but you know it's more or less kind of watchable. It's it's on YouTube and then it's in English, but it's got like I think maybe Italian subtitles. But the subtitles are just a big giant black block at the bottom. 
So they, it, the, it, the, the actual picture where I don't think has been cropped, but it's been just shoved up to the top of the frame. Uh, so it's a little annoying to watch. Very different character than Bart Fargo. And I definitely don't think he does his own voice. So it's a little weird. Okay. <laughs> rift or unrift, uh, it, it's an eminently enjoyable piece of work. It's just a... It, it, it's lighthearted, it's action-packed, there's actually some good story in there, there's cheesy-ass effects in other spots, but either way, it's just a fun ride. Excellent, good. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And that will do it for this episode. I know we uh, we almost talked about three movies, if you count really the <laughs> MST version and the Unrift version, plus Dawn of the Beast. You knew it was going to happen. We both love the Mystery Science Theater as much as uh, this this one unriffed, so he, it was going to yeah. happen. So that is going to do it. Tom, thanks very much for joining me and, and watching the film. Always a pleasure. And if uh, anybody, your thoughts, you know, seek this one out and see what you have to think for it. Like I said, it's on YouTube. Go ahead and give it a watch. You, you can't beat free as far as what's an hour and a half of your time. It's not that big a deal. Go check it out. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks for either another MST3K Unrift or another TV movie. We haven't quite decided yet. Um, until then, thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye. See ya. Yeah, Servo, what is that? Oh, Mike, it's a death ray I made. Death ray? Yeah, but of course I made it for peaceful purposes only. I could... Oh, wait, here comes Crow. Oh, jeez, I know I made it for peaceful purposes only, but I just can't resist. <laughs> Servo, no! <laughs> <laughs> what the heck was that for? Oh, boy, I'm sorry. That was my death ray. I had intended it to be for peaceful purposes only, but then you came along and... <laughs> <laughs> I gotta admit it. It is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>